0: Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is the 12th day of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2023. This is Paratalk here on the Crusade Channel. And this is Live Talk Radio the way it should be. We're always on air, always online, and I am always happy to be with you. Today I am broadcasting from RTF South. And you may hear some background noise because I'm actually sitting outside at the moment in an undisclosed Latin American country. And um, you can hear, I'm close enough to the ocean that you can hear the birds flying, gathering their forces for the day, even though it is very early in the morning, uh, pre-dawn, the streets are alive with people, you see people talking and walking and riding their bikes and setting up various things. And I want to talk to you today about the Father Jim Jackson Saga. Father James Jackson, he was an FSSP priest, the priest of the Fraternity of St. Peter. And there was a very important milestone released by the pillar in his case. I want to go through this story with you as accurately as possible because I think that there are various lessons that we can all learn from this saga. I won't, tell, I won't deny to you that um, I, among many, truly believed Father Jackson to be innocent. I did. I believed it in my gut. And I want to walk you through why I believed it, um, who all was involved, how I even came to be involved in this story what it has meant to my life, and um, what we can all learn from, uh, from this fiasco. So that's what we'll be talking about today, probably for the, uh, for the entire hour. And I, 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 I want to share this with you because what you're hearing from me is basically going to be raw reaction, raw emotion to the fact that we were all betrayed and duped by this man, Um, I'm not sure which stage in the, uh, grieving cycle you may be, uh, if at all, um, maybe you have no investment in the idea whatsoever. And if that's the case, I still think this show will be a benefit to you because we have to get over certain dispositions, especially in American traditionalism. And, uh, I think it's pretty darn important that we do that sooner rather than later all right so from the pillar um just breaking last night at uh uh, around supper time last night was an article entitled father james jackson apologizes claims quote-unquote addiction to child porn in a plea for sentence of five years on child pornography charges father james jackson told a federal judge that he accepted responsibility for his crimes and was sorry and that he had been sexually abused himself as a minor. The priest also went to the court uh, sent to the court an August letter to members of his religious community, in which he apologized for his vile sin. Quote The vile sin into which I fell, and for which I am guilty, has caused immeasurable harm. Jackson explained in a handwritten letter dated august sixth, and reportedly sent to his religious provincial superior and other members of his religious community. Quote, I have sinned against God, children, you, friends and family, former students and former parishioners, and many others besides. The priest wrote, I cannot repair this damage, but I must try. I hope you will accept this apology. I'm sorry at a level I've never experienced before. I'm ashamed beyond any shame I've known. I will be offering reparations, penances, and what good works I can for you long after I am dismissed from the fraternity and praying for you in a reformed life until my dying day. So uh, this letter is something that Jackson submitted. He attached it to a sentencing memorandum filed in federal court on December 11th six months after he pled guilty to a felony count of receiving child sex abuse material. In the memorandum, the priest asks that he be sentenced to five years incarceration followed by supervised release. Uh, Of note, Father James Jackson is 68 years old. He stands to receive a penalty of 20 years in prison. He's likely to be sentenced to five in light of a uh, concurring recommendation from federal prosecutors. In other words, when both sides ask the judge for the same uh, uh, punishment, he's more likely to give exactly that punishment. Um, What remains to be seen, however, is whether or not the state of Kansas will subsequently prosecute Father James Jackson and whether or not this sorted affair will go on and on and on. For some of you who don't know, when Father Jackson was released from custody in Providence, Rhode Island, he took up um, residence with his sister uh, in the outside of the Kansas City, Missouri area, on the Kansas side, in somewhere in Overland Park or Lenexa or one of those really fancy cities in Uh, upscale part of Kansas. During his time there, he was re-arrested. This would have been last summer. I was the first to report it to you uh, on the Restoring the Faith Media YouTube channel. And he was arrested for the same thing. And we have not seen the state of Kansas charge him with anything yet. Um, And some experts who have looked at this have said that it is very common for the state task force in Kansas to sort of let things play out in Rhode Island and see if they can't get a conviction there before they move forward. Um, generally speaking, um, he he didn't do a global plea deal to my knowledge. In other words, he didn't plead guilty in Kansas as well, and he doesn't have any leniency or any uh, points with anybody in kansas so i suspect and this is something i'm not sure that the pillar got this part right but i suspect that there will be a second trial and a second guilty plea and a second round of sentencing in the state of kansas for father james jackson we are not going to hear the end of this in other words anytime soon his sentencing is supposed to occur any day now and uh I sort of agree with the analysis from the pillar that his sentencing will probably only be five years. Let me pause there for a second. Knowing nothing else of what I've just told you, besides knowing the fact that this is a priest, a traditional Latin mass priest, who has admitted to having An addiction to child pornography what would a just society do to this man in justice and in mercy what would a just society do to this man well it's it would be to millstone him i'm not going to play the millstone song it's too happy it's too upbeat this is very serious this is deadly serious it would be better for this man to be cast into the ocean with a millstone around his neck And he knows that, and I know that, and you know that. So don't be deceived. I have already heard from members of his former parish in Colorado Springs. Overnight, I've received a flood of encouragement and notes. One mother of small children tells me that there are even still to this day parishioners in Colorado Springs at Our Lady of Mount Carmel Parish, who insists on the innocence of this man. There are even still parishioners at that parish who believe that his YouTube videos should not have been taken offline because they are so useful in teaching the faith to their families and their children. There are even still members of the community there who refuse to accept the reality and go so far as to say that he is a victim soul who is taking on the crime of another person to purify his own soul and to ensure his spot in heaven, like he's some saint who is suffering for all of us. Ladies and gentlemen, he is not that man. He is not a victim soul who is taking on the sins of someone else in order to sanctify his own soul and pray for us. Father James Jackson has deceived so many for so long, and it really is astonishing. I received a voice note from a very, very famous priest who has known him for decades and said, I I have no idea how he pulled this off. There were never any signs. I guess the only thing we can do now is pray for the guy. What was my involvement? Well, look, I never met Jackson. I've never spoken to him. I've never written a letter to him. I've never had any communication with him. We don't know each other. But I was recruited I was recruited for this mission of defending Father Jackson because I was told by people who knew him that there's no way he could be guilty. Steve Cunningham of census fidelium would be one of those guys. Convinced me, hey, he was my priest for five years, he would never do this, trust me, there are thousands of people who would would believe this, that he was innocent. There are tons of people that are going to come to his aid, let's do this. Friends in Idaho, friends in Florida, friends in Baltimore, friends in Maine, friends in Texas, friends in Oklahoma, all who say, I know him, I've gone camping with him, I've gone hiking with him, I've done uh, pilgrimages with him, he's been inside my house, he's interacted with my children, never a suspicion For their part, the uh, smear mongers, liars, thugs, and perjurers over in Ferndale, fabulous Ferndale, they dug and they dug and they dug. And they never produced a witness, never produced a victim. What was so interesting about the Father Jackson case as well is that uh, very rarely does someone with the inclination for towards pedophilia, very rarely does he restrict his activities merely to online viewing. Usually over time, the uh, thrill, whatever thrill you could get from that, uh, diminishes. It's the law of diminishing returns. It's in economics. And so the person will ultimately move towards Acting out uh, what he sees in in the imagery or in the videos uh, in real life. In other words, very rarely is someone just looking at the images without actively trying to molest a child. And so for the last two years, no child has been found, no victim has come forward. It's a very public scandal, it's a very public trial. Everybody knows that Father Jackson has been arrested for this vile crime. It hit all the uh, Catholic publications, and it hit regional and publications as well. The stuff that he was looking at was vile, disgusting, beyond description, and indefensible. I think there's no question about that. But the question that remains is how he was able to... um, Elude so many people. I mean, this man was, by all who knew him well, and I mean those people who were close to him, he was a technological Luddite, supposedly. Incapable of operating the dark web, supposedly. I mean, he didn't even have a smartphone, he had a dumb phone. Uh, He used one laptop, apparently, that was uh, his personal laptop, and as it turns out, he had the capability to auto-transfer these smut files, even remotely, even when he wasn't there, even when he was out of town, even when he was hearing confessions. And people didn't want to believe that he was capable of these things. And I'll tell you, I I didn't want to believe that he was capable of these things. I really didn't. Although, to be fair, from the beginning, many of you know this, I reposted the video of this recently uh, so that everyone can see. From the beginning, I said, look, I don't know Father Jackson. He may be guilty. And we all need to prepare ourselves for the fact that he may be guilty. We may not know Father Jackson the way we think we did. I put that out uh, on fundraising day zero. But nevertheless, I thought that the whole thing stunk, stunk to high heaven, because there were so many people who attested to this man's character, faultless character, so many people standing by saying, I've known him, I've served with him, I've dug trenches with him. I have, uh, I have never, ever, ever known anything like this. There were fraternity priests who reached out to me and told me that it was impossible that he was guilty. Impossible. These would be the same priests who would ultimately offer up, hey, yeah, why don't you, why don't you come here? Why don't you interview people to prove his innocence? Uh, interview anybody you want to look at anything you want to look at, scan any hard drive you want to scan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This deal was in place before church militant got involved. I was at one point in talks with a forensic team based out of Washington, D.C., former top-level FBI forensics guys who were prepared to do just that. In fact, they were to the point of booking their travel before church militant got involved it's weird that church militant did just did not want anyone to go and scan hard drive it's it's very strange to me that michael voris who was leading a double life for years and was leading a double life even when he attacked father jackson and when he attacked me still wanted to be the arbiter of all things Father Jackson. He still wanted to be the umpire of who gets to decide who's innocent and who's guilty and who's leading a double life and who's not. That's a very strange part of this whole story that I still have never figured out. Why does the guy who himself has a secret sin, a very dark and disgusting one, one of the most vile there is, why he wants to decide whether or not a simple hard drive scan can happen in the state of Colorado or in the state of insert blank here, right? So that, that always bothered me, and that's, that always made me think that, you know what, Father Jackson is more likely than not to be innocent considering the powers and the principalities that have lined up against him. Um, but again, I was wrong and I was open to being wrong the whole time. I always said, look, I I don't know him and he's either innocent or guilty. I happen to think he's probably innocent, but he may be guilty. And that's why I thought maybe I was the right person for the task. But nevertheless, he asserted his innocence, uh, early on. He pled not guilty. Um, he maintained radio silence. His attorney and I spoke several times. His attorney let me know that uh, part of the part of the case with that particular judge was being quiet and not drawing attention to it. He didn't want cameras in the courtroom. He didn't want Father Jackson making any grandiose statements or asserting his innocence, etc. Just keep your head down uh, and we'll get through the trial and we will prove your innocence at trial. That was his legal plan. That was his strategy. He said, okay, fine. This guy was hired by the Fraternity of St. Peter, um, and then he was paid by my fundraiser initially. I, I suspect he was paid a heck of a lot more money down the road, but um, but however far uh, that amount of money, like $80,000 paid to this guy, would, would take him uh, is, is what it would take him. Now, my, my civil litigation... My defense costs against the menace of church militant were quite a bit more than that 80,000 dollars. And yet this criminal trial has been going on for much longer and has had probably more costlier uh, things involved with it. So I imagine that they burned through that money just in the pretrial phase before they even got to, you know, like the plea negotiations. who knows? it's a black box uh when church militants uh decided to get involved in this case then um the john calcogne the attorney pretty much uh decided that yeah you, know, you know what we we better not we better not talk to you as often anymore mike you know you just never know especially once they started demanding discovery from calcogne they were begging calcogne to Try to uh, turn on me, I guess, or or provide some evidence of fraud or or malintent or or the like. So when you're an attorney and you start receiving um, formal requests for documents, um, subpoenas, you know, you're just like, okay, I'm, I'm just look, I don't have time for for you little gnats and your little your little Twitter war and your little defamation case. I'm trying to uh, do a real big boy case here, a criminal case. Um, and that's sort of, I think, the attitude that I got from Cal Cogni. Again, located by, hired by the Fraternity of St. Peter, um, but not paid by them, had to be paid privately by Jackson. And it turns out that, um, that his pre-trial phase was paid by my fundraiser. Um, we've got to go to a, a break here. This is Paratalk on the crusade channel. This is live talk radio, the way it should be. Um, when we come back, I'm going to continue recounting the story. And I'm going to go through a little bit more on the pillar article and some observations that are takeaways from this Jackson scandal. I mean, many of you probably have arrived at these conclusions already. Um, but possibly hearing it from me, hearing my version of it, boots on the ground, very close to this story for two years, uh, will be helpful to you. By the way, this segment and the following segment, this whole show today is brought to you by the Merry Manly Christmas Giveaway. You've got to go to crusadechannel.com merry to sign up. That's crusadechannel.com merry to not only have your opportunity to have a $50 shopping spree in the Founders Trading Post, but also one of the six grand prizes and those are awesome grand prizes. I would like to win one, but the king dude told me I'm ineligible. So all I can do is promote it for all of you fine people. Paratalk here. We'll be right back. Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be. Don't touch the dial. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Paratalk here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be. I am your humble host, Mike Parrott, broadcasting from RTF South. And as I said in the last segment, I'm actually sitting outside waiting for the sun to rise in a non-disclosed location. I am uh, watching the streets of a Latin American country come to life. And I am witnessing, you know, the birds gathering their forces above the ocean as, uh, as the sun is just about to peak up over the flat horizon, and uh, by the way, it is very flat when you look at it when you're looking at the water, and <laughs> you're looking at the sun come up or down over the water. It, there's no curve. just, just one man's observation. Look, I'm just telling you how I see the world through these green eyes here, okay? All right, um, I've been talking about the Father Jackson case, and a lot of you are familiar with the Father Jackson. Case. Some of you aren't, which is um, interesting that, you, that you're not. But uh, the Father Jackson case is something that became very central to my life in, uh, in, at the end of 2021. I was convinced by uh, Steve Cunningham of Census Fidelium and others to launch a fundraiser in defense of Father Jim Jackson, a man I'd never met, a man I knew very little about but whose uh, literal uh, literal army of supporters was assuring everybody that he was framed, that there was no way that this could be possible. Um, So I launched a fundraiser for him in early November 2021, just days after his October 30 arrest. And I called into question some uh, some of the details of his arrest, and some of the circumstances around it. And I started to report on this man based on the uh, eyewitness accounts of people who knew him well, or at least claimed to know him well. Um, The federal memo of his arrest added that Jackson appeared to have tried to have concealed, hidden the devices at the time of the search, adding that the priest was not cooperative with officers throughout the search process. Well, we know why. Um, this article in the Pillar came out, and it's pretty good. And it, it, I, have, I, I regret to inform you that the reporting in the Pillar is usually pretty good. I don't want to say that because I don't necessarily like or agree with the, um, the two publishers, The two canon lawyers, especially J.D. Flynn, who's behind the pillar. Flynn is no uh, friend to tradition. Um, In fact, he's sort of left of center, but he is at least, um, I think, well meaning and sincere in his work. And so far, his work uh, seems to be decent enough. And again, I don't agree with their opinion. And to the extent that their opinions in their reporting and what they choose to report or write about and et cetera comes through, their editorialization is not in line with uh, traditional Catholicism. It's not in line with anything that I believe or stand for. But when it just comes to the raw reporting and the, the, the blocking and tackling and the syntax and the grammar and all that, I, it's pretty good. Um, I want to read you a paragraph from, uh, from this one. It says, quote, the priest's initial arrest divided some traditionalist Catholics with some claiming that Jackson was not computer savvy enough to have committed child porn crimes and some suggesting the priest had been framed or that child porn seized at his rectory belonged to someone else. In addition to Jackson's plea for the minimum sentence, the priest included in his sentencing memo statements of support from numerous former parishioners and from several priests. Despite his guilty plea, Jackson included several letters whose texts included claims that the priest might be innocent, at least one of which was written after his guilty plea, but before the priest apologized to fellow priests for his guilt in his August note to his religious community. One priest... Father Justin Nolan, FSSP, wrote in an undated letter filed with the court, December 11th, that in parish ministry Jackson had been, quote, the consummate gentleman in all his dealings with parishioners, seminarians, priests, and people. I would be hard pressed to identify any faults in his character or behavior. He had no discernible vices, Nolan added. Quote, it is incomprehensible to me that Father Jackson could be guilty of the crimes he has pled guilty to and I can only believe that it was in the face of possible life imprisonments that compel him to do so, end quote. Uh, just to be fair to Father Justin Nolan, it looks like uh, J.D. Flynn um, from the Pillar actually reached out to him, and nolan contacted the pillar to say that while it had been filed with the court december 11th he had actually written the letter in june so here's an excerpt from nolan's email quote my letter was written on june 15th a few days after jackson's guilty plea nolan wrote by email the letters were asked for by his attorney and written for the purpose of giving a character testimonial to be entered before his sentencing so as to give the judge a better idea of his character and conduct as people had known him the priest added While Nolan's letter included his incredulity at Jackson's guilty plea, it was, quote, not written in defense of his innocence, the priest told the Pillar. He added, quote, Father Jackson's most recent statement of guilt, in particular his letter of apology to the priest in August, make it quite clear that he is guilty of crimes of which he has pled to, Nolan added. I know of no one who continues to maintain his innocence. I wish that were the case. I really wish that were the case. I wish Father Nolan were correct in in his assessment that he knows no one who asserts his innocence. Unfortunately, I do know people who continue to assert his innocence. All right. So what is, what is this? Uh, what does this mean to us? What does this whole saga mean to us? Uh, each one of you out there has to search your own heart and your own soul for how this story has touched you, if at all. For some of you, you, you you somehow have never heard of any of this, or you're so loosely associated with it that even this particular broadcast, like you're just like, okay, well, the guy was guilty. Why did anybody jump to his defense? Um, and you can remain sort of aloof to it and, ha- and um, arm's length. For others of you, you followed my, my, ver- my saga, um, my uh, participation in this story very closely, and you were extremely dear to me and um, helped me get through um, the s- stunning and savage persecution that I went through uh, merely for doing what I thought was the right thing. For others of you out there who are listening to the sound of my voice here on the Crusade Channel, you you know Father Jackson, or you have been touched by him. You've read his book. You've uh, you, you you know you knew him when he was rector of the FSSP Seminary. You were one of his seminarians. Um, you were one of his parishioners in in uh, Colorado or at Oklahoma or in Rhode Island. You served in the military with him. You knew him. Um, when John Sr. was alive, you knew him as a student of John Sr.'s um, in Kansas. You, some of you have very, very strong attachments to him and very strong emotional um, attachment to this case. Everybody sort of has had a different version of this. It has touched people in the traditional Latin mass community differently. But I don't think that there is any escape from it. There's nowhere to hide from this disgusting story. Father James Jackson was the face of traditional Catholicism from a priest's point of view um, long before the invention of Taylor Marshall. Uh, Advent of Taylor Marshall, I should say. Um, he has been fighting the good fight for tradition for a long time. He, I gave you some of his uh, biographical notes. He wrote the book on it. He was one of the most important men in the FSSP. He was one of the most important priests in in uh, in Denver. Uh, he has had a sterling record. He has had lots of converts. Um, he has given uh, famous sermons. He has written famous uh, articles. He has amassed a following, an international following. And his fall, his demise... With a, with a secret sin that of, of the most vile in nature, the most vile secret sin that one can imagine, um, besides actual sodomy, that would be voris, uh, so that would be worse, but his secret sin of, of viewing with pleasure the abuse of children. I mean, that's, that's disgusting. That's millstone worthy. This man should be put to death. And I've been very clear about that from the beginning, I think. If he is guilty, he should be put to death. I only have ever wanted justice to prevail for Father James Jackson. And I am sad to report that justice will not prevail for Father James Jackson in this case. Likely he's going to get off with five years and then some supervision. He'll be in his 70s. Um, he may face a concurrent trial or a, or a, or a second sentence out of the state of Kansas who knows um but there may come a day where 70 something year old former father jackson he will have been laicized by that point will be free to walk the streets of uh, of the united states under supervision he'll probably go back to kansas and live with his sister um or maybe he'll live in his million house in Vail. Yeah, that's right. He'll live in his $2 million house in Vail. So here's the first thing that we needed to know about Jackson that we never knew. They're freaking rich. They never needed our money. They never needed our fundraiser to begin with. They never needed our help. Now, Do I still think that all men who are accused of a crime in these United States are innocent until proven guilty? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do I think that silence, that you have the absolute right to remain silent and that silence cannot be used to impugn guilt? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. I believe that. I believe that firmly. Do I believe that all men have a right to a rigorous legal defense? I sure do yepers that's going to be another yep from me i think that all men have a right to a vigorous legal defense the most vigorous legal defense that they can muster it just turns out and i didn't know this because i don't know jackson and apparently nobody knew jackson very well it turns out that he didn't need our help to muster a vigorous legal defense he could have hired calcogny himself and written the check himself uh, out of the family trust No idea that uh, Jim Jackson was a rich kid, no idea. So um, that's the first point here is those three pillars of our legal system, I think have to stand the test of time. And if we turn our back on any one of those three, then we turn our back on any serious system of justice. You are innocent until you are proven guilty. You have a right to a legal defense. You have a right to remain silent, and that silence cannot be impugned for guilt, period. Those are the the three pillars of, of any just society, of any serious justice system that we just have to accept and enforce. And laboring under those three assumptions for these last two years, we have all made the decisions that we have made. We have done what we can do in the pursuit of justice and then in the pursuit of truth. Well, now we have one, but we don't have the other. We have truth, but we don't have justice. In Milstonia, if I were in charge, there would be a system of justice for a guy like Jim Jackson that would be wholly and separately apart from the system of justice uh, which we have in the United States of America. Five years would be... uh, a joke. Five years would be given to someone who knew about a millstone candidate and didn't do the right thing about it. That, maybe that would be an appropriate sentence. Five years for, a, for an accidental accomplice. Okay. But for the actual pervert, it's death. It's millstone. It's cast into the sea. Uh, it's very public. It's very swift. Um, and it, that is what it is. And that's mercy. Give the man the opportunity to go to confession and to get right with God, because you're about to meet God. Goodbye. Um, the other thing that I think we—this is, is the heart of the issue here. And the whole broadcast is designed to get us to this point. We've got to land the plane here. At, well, we have to land the plane somewhere, and if we're going to land it anywhere, we're going to land it here on the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is that the condition of original sin is ubiquitous. We are all fallen creatures. None of us are immune to sin. None of us are are incapable of committing sin. All of us are capable of committing sin. All of us are capable of committing even grave sin. The liturgy that you attend does not inoculate you from the temptation to commit grave sin. We cannot fall into this practice of idolizing our priests or presuming that they're all innocent because they say the Latin Mass or because they're part of my, my clan or your clan. Incidentally, I haven't associated with the Fraternity of St. Peter in any formal way uh, since, I don't know, 2016? In 2016, I was, I was certainly a parishioner of a, of a fraternity parish and had given a lot of money, uh, a lot for me anyway, and had asked other people to give money to build a parish in Los Angeles and then, later, I guess, in sixteen or seventeen uh when it became clear to me that there were there were issues, I left that parish um and then we moved shortly thereafter anyway, and then that's it I, that that thus thus ends any association whatsoever that I have ever had with uh the fraternity of Saint Peter so what is that five years before Father Jackson gets arrested i've I have no ties, no links to the f s s p uh, whatsoever, just besides knowing some of the priests and being friends with them and having friends at the fraternity or whatever. So I, I can't, I, I can't tell you that I personally fell into that. Uh, well, it's my clan. It's my it's the fraternity. It's the Latin mass. It's, you know, he, he has to be innocent because, because all of us are saints and that. No, I don't, I don't think I fell into that, but I will tell you that I think that other people did. I do think it, I do think that many people very simplistically thought this through and said, oh, well, he's a Latin mass priest or he's a fraternity of St. Peter priest, and so he has to be innocent. Well, that's just not true. That's just not true. Anybody can live a double life. Just ask Michael Voris, the chief finger pointer in the Catholic Church in the United States of America, the loudest, most obnoxious, the one casting the stones is the one living a grotesque, disgusting, abomination, sodomitical. The angels uh, and the demons flee from Voris. He's so, he's, so, he's so bad. His sins cry out for heaven, for vengeance upon all mankind. I'm going to talk about living a double life. So um, we are witnessing; we are alive in a time where we have seen the fall. If Voris was your hero, your faith may be shaken. If Jackson was your hero, your faith may be shaken. And what do we learn from this? I think that we. I think our Lord has has uh, deigned to teach us an extremely valuable lesson, uh, an invaluable. lesson. Lesson that anyone can sin. Place not your ho- your trust in princes, because the princes of this world can and will fall. We will all fall short. The King Dude will fall short. I will fall short. Ryan Grant will fall short. Rick Barrett will fall short. All of us are capable of doing unspeakably evil things and all of us are tempted to do unspeakably evil things none of us if we're being truly honest can search our hearts and not find an inclination towards sin in our hearts that's called original sin all right baptism doesn't remove the temptation towards concupiscence It just removes the punishment of original sin. All of us are fallen creatures. All of us need grace. We need the grace of the sacraments. We need uh, a strict account of our daily lives. We need to say our daily prayers. We need our daily examination of conscience. We need regular confession. We need sacramental grace. We need sanctifying grace in our souls if we have any hope of working out our salvation in fear and trembling the way St. Peter told us to do. And for those who aren't Catholic, you better get on the program because I don't even know how y'all live without sacramental grace. I don't even, I don't even know how you wake up in the morning without it. It's like, it's like air and water to the soul. You die without it. And that's literally true. You do. Um, but we can't, we can't go out there and just lionize people. We can't idolize people. We can't idolize our priests. We can't have these cults of personality. We can't have uh, celebrity priests. We can't, I mean, how many times, what, what, what was that guy's name? <sighs> Father, what was his name? He rode the motorcycle and he was really manly and everybody loved him and then he fell. How many times are we going to go through this? The rise and fall of priests who are also men, who are also subject to the same inclinations that anyone else is. You know, I have a really good friend up in northern Idaho, a really good friend. They've got eight children. I'm godfather to, to more than one of them. He's godfather to one of my children. Um, he told me the story of his parish growing huge, FSSP Parish, lots of people there, um, growing like a weed, a father of many who was a leader in the community, who was someone that people looked up to for parenting and uh, family rearing and traditionalism and whatever, was doing things worse than Father Jackson because he wasn't just looking at them online, looking at the evidence of the prior abuse online, he was actually committing real abuse to his own children. These people are everywhere, and going to the Latin Mass does not inoculate you from it. You can go to the correct Mass all day long, and I, and I firmly argue that it is correct, it is the correct liturgy. It is that which is most pleasing to God. It is the liturgy which needs to replace the invented one from the 1960s. It will once it, one one day become the uh, universal expression of the Western rite, of the Latin rite, once again. I believe that that will happen someday. I don't know when, but in God's good time, it will. Nevertheless, we have always had crazy perverted, disgusting sinners in all times of Christendom. It's not as though we didn't have these this level of perversion prior to 1967, when all Catholic masses in the Western world, all Catholic masses in the Latin world, were Trinitine masses. It's not as though we didn't have serial killers and perverts and murderers and rapists and thieves and liars and Perjurers and whatever else—we've we've always had those people, even though they go to the quote-unquote Latin Mass. So what is especially confusing in our times right now, when we have to distinguish between the bogus Ordo, uh, the bogus Oreo, and the traditional Latin Mass, is people falsely believe that oh, okay, well, if I go to the longer Mass, the harder one to pay attention to, the one that's more confusing the one that's uh, more pleasing to God, the one that takes more effort than I'm putting more effort in. And if I'm putting more effort in, then God will spare me from sin. He won't. He won't. He will allow you to be tempted just like he allows everybody else to be tempted. And what we do in our will is what matters. This is why I think a week or two ago I had a whole discourse on the cardinal virtues And how we have to control our concupiscible and irascible appetites so that we can work on our intellect, so that we can prepare our will to make the right decision when the cards are down, when the chips are down. When the rubber meets the road, what will we decide to do? Will we we choose the good or not? Will we choose to love God or not? When we're tired, when we're hungry... When we're angry, when we're impatient, when we're scared, when we're anxious, will we choose to love God or not? That is the question that happens in the will. And maybe we get more graces out of, uh, out of the traditional Latin Mass. I'm not even arguing that. Maybe we do. I don't know the answer to that. Ask a theologian. But if what we are doing in our lives is not preparing our will to choose the good, even when it's hard, then we're doing something wrong. And that is what matters. That's what matters. That's what God wants from us. That's what He wants from our hearts. He wants us to give Him our hearts. When it hurts to give, when we don't want to give, when we don't feel like it anymore, that's when he demands it the most. And we are not, I don't think, going to be, we're not going to be able to get out of our our particular judgment just because we idolized some priest who fell in other words our salvation cannot be tied to our adulation of father fill in the blank maybe yesterday it was father jackson and today it's father altman and you know who knows i i'm not saying father altman has any secret sins i'm not saying that father altman's going to have some spectacular meltdown but maybe he will maybe he will and i'm not i'm not picking on you father altman i'm a big fan for the record but I think even Father Almond would say, "Don't follow me, follow Christ, cling to our Lady, cling to antiquity, cling to truth, cling to the church, cling to what is permanent. I think that's the lesson here that's certainly the lesson that i at the way I see it i'm I'm at once glad that i never got to know Father Jackson because he sounds like someone that I would have really liked. He sounds like someone that I would have defended to the death. He sounds like someone had, that had I got to know him, that I would have absolutely gone to war with him. I would have stood shoulder to shoulder with him. I would have walked through a wall for him. He sounds like that kind of guy. And I am, I am glad that I, I never met him. I'm glad that I never had to have the opportunity to, be, to have my heart broken by him. And I am so, so sorry for all of you who did have your heart broken by him. Now, I had my life broken by him in part. I had my life destroyed in many respects. But my heart is intact. And I think a broken heart is way worse I think, than, you know, just some having to get a new career or whatever, fighting a lawsuit. So that's not that big of a deal. So for those of you who have had your heart broken by Father Jackson, I am very, very sorry. And of course for the children. I mean, look, it goes without saying, that movie Sound of Freedom, I consulted on that movie. I have, I have done more than any Catholic commentator who is out there uh, pro- besides the king dude, probably, because I think the king dude's been right on this issue for a long, long, long time. But people are like, oh, well, you raise money for a, for a pedophile. I raised money for a priest who asserted his innocence. Turns out he was guilty, and, we, and, and he was wrong. And you know what? We never even found any evidence that he, was, that he was guilty. A forensic team flying around the country interviewing people never found one shred of, of evidence that he was guilty incredible incredible that this man deceived so many for so long in so many places, it really is astonishing the level of um, the level of deceit the level of deceit. If there was one tell that I came across in the course of my investigation, if there was one tell and i don't even know if this is a tell because i look forward to becoming a grumpy old man but if there was one tell it wasn't just that he was kind of a grump known to be a grump it's sort of like the level of um not disdain obtuseness there was a coldness and a uh superiority complex and sort of a grumpy nature to him that I don't know my wife and I have talked about this many times that sometimes could betray a hidden life a hidden sin and I'm not indicting all grumpy people because I intend to become a grumpy old man in fact I sometimes I feel like I'm a grumpy old man in a 40 year old man's body But there you have it. There you have it. $55,000 spent on investigating Father Jackson. Zero evidence, zero witnesses, zero victims, zero shred of any impropriety found on my side of the fence. It's a good thing that we have these task forces, these task forces that can find these perverts and get them. Do I think that the government can still frame you? Yeah, I do. Do I think that they would still frame you? Yes, I do. I do. I simultaneously believe that our government is evil and and would absolutely do that to any one of us while still believing that it's a good thing that they can get the bad guys. I don't don't see it as an either-or. I think you can have both things at the same time. So, all right, well, I'll let you guys go. Look, um, <laughs> this has been heartbreaking for so many of you. It's been heartbreaking for me. It's been, uh, it's, it's been a struggle. I don't think that we're at the end of it yet. We're probably still in the seventh inning of this ball game and more is going to come out and with the Kansas thing and et cetera. But, um, there you have it. Father James Jackson Admits guilt to his own confreres. Says that he was uh, addicted to it. Says that he was abused as a child. By the way, being abused as a child is not an excuse. It's not an excuse. We are culpable for our sins, period. This Freudian fake psychology of, well, it's not my fault because I'm addicted to it, We've got to stop that. Voris is pulling the same stunt. I was abused as a child, and so that's why I started abusing young men at my office. That's not an excuse. It's not an excuse for Jackson, and it's not an excuse for Voris. You're going to see people out online that are going to tee off one way or the other. Some people are going to tee off on me and say, oh, look, yeah, yeah, you know, you were wrong about Jackson. I think what you'll find is I'm the only one who's consistent. I think both of them should be millstoned. They're both disgusting perverts. Millstone both of them and move on. That's what I say. <laughs> but uh, it, fascism is easy. It really is. The, hard, the hardest part is just getting it going. Once you've got a good system in place, though, you know, it's like any system. You build a system and you systematize things and, like, you know, the business runs itself. uh, Anyway. All right. Well, you guys got to go. This is the, (laughs) this is the crusade channel. This is live talk radio, the way it should be. We are always on air, always online. Always happy to be with you. Thanks for listening to the bitter end to this extended, uh, episode. Thanks to the King dude for airing it. And, um, God bless all of you. I'll see you on Wednesday. Take care now.